0: Pressure is building Like stones on my chest You said To Table Radio. This week we continue in John's Gospel, chapter 16. This sermon was preached by Andy on Sunday, February 4th. To
1: your Bibles if you'd like. That's on page 1538, and we're in John 16. We're going to start at verse 4. Let me pray first.
2: May
1: we give you thanks for the gift of your Word. Lord, we want to, we long to hear a word from the living God tonight. You speak to us. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. We've been going through um, John 14, and we'll end up in 17th at the end of Lent as we get into Easter. And it's the, we've been calling it famous last words. It's Jesus' last words. He's um, put himself in a room with his closest followers, his disciples, and he wants to teach them some last things before he knows he's departing. He's about to be arrested that night, and he knows he's going to die. And So he needs to prepare them. And so there's a sense of urgency to these words and a sense of, um, a, a sense of importance around them. So let's walk through this a little bit, and then we'll we'll circle back and talk about it a little bit more in depth. So in verse 4, this is kind of halfway through verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So this is all the stuff he's been saying. He's washed their feet. He's getting them ready for the absence of his physical presence and trying to get them ready for what's to come. And he's just had some last week uh, to us, just seconds ago, in narrative time, he just said it's going to get hard. It's going to get dark. If they didn't like me, they're not going to like you. Right? Because he's preparing them for his departure, and the Spirit is going to be with them, and the Spirit in his disciples are just going to do and say the same things that Jesus did and said, which got him into trouble. Okay? So it's a bit heavy in this moment. And he's saying... I didn't say these things to you earlier from the beginning because I was with you. It was Jesus' body in this case and not the disciples that was targeted, that was under fire. So he didn't need to prepare them earlier, but now that he's about to go, but still continue his mission through them, he has to prepare them for what's to come. But now... This is verse 5 I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So we get it sorrow has taken center stage, it's gotten heavy, it's gotten a bit dark. They're finally putting together that he's not going to be around anymore, at least not physically, and things are going to be difficult. And so it's drowning out the plot. Jesus is anticipating a bigger story. He knows there's more to this. It's not going to end with his death, but they're just taking it all in, and it's too heavy. I want to tell you more. No one asks what's next. No one's asked where I'm going, but you're filled with sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he's been talking this whole time about another helper like him that will be with them in a way that he couldn't be with all of them at the same time. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. There's a lot of things all packed in there. We'll come back to that in a minute. He goes on, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus is reading the room. (laughs) He knows it's time to wrap up his words because it's too heavy. And so he's going to wrap it up. When the spirit of truth comes... He's going to guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So you can't handle what I'm about to tell you, but don't worry. The Spirit is going to come, and he will guide you Like I've been guiding you, he will be with you in the same way. So let's start back at the top, and we'll walk through this. If you're the type that likes to have an outline, we've got some outlines at the back with some pens. Feel free to sneak back there and grab one. So, first things. Back up to verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus had always been, you both read through the, the Gospels, he's always been the target. And he was the target. He had a target on him because he challenged the idols of his people. Right? So the crowds went out to him. He healed. And he wasn't even necessarily trying to be a target. He was just living his life and declaring the truth about who God is. Declaring the truth of the kingdom. But it ruffled feathers. It created jealousy for those who had power, for those who had knowledge, right? So you can think of King Herod as an example who tried to have him him killed. It's a threat to his power. There's another another king. Or you can think of at least some of the Pharisees we we see in John's Gospel. It wasn't all the Pharisees, but a number of Pharisees, religious leaders and teachers who had power and influence, Right? They're feeling threatened. Or the things that were of ultimate importance to them were being threatened. So Jesus has just told them look, if the world hated, if you're going to be so radically identified with me as my disciple, that my father and I come and make our home with you, which is what he promised earlier, and you're going to do the works that I do and say the words that I say, then you're going to have the enemies that I have. Right? It makes sense. If the world hates me, it will hate you. Now, I got this image. Uh, If you're uh, among the youth, you'll recognize this because I just used this last Tuesday. Um, but this comes from uh, uh, Sky Jatani, uh, his book on What If Jesus Was Serious. It's a really great book because it's really short and it's mostly pictures like this. And it has really short chapters that talk about these pictures so I really recommend it. Um, but this is a really fun little sketch because he's talking about a dynamic where I think some of the things that Jesus is saying connects with us as well here. Not just his first disciples but disciples like uh, maybe some of us in this room who are following him. So we are in a part of the world that is not experiencing, at the moment, heavy persecution. We can't really compare ourselves to other places in the world where people are literally going to prison because of their um, following Jesus, or even in some cases dying, right? And I think some of the reason for that is because of what's being illustrated up here. So he's put up on that left, uh, if you can't read it, it just says kind of a, a, a culture that's at least shaped, by the Bible, by the gospel stories, a culture that's shaped um, by a lot of people trying to follow Jesus. And that's been a lot of our culture's history. And you can see some of the values of the kingdom below, human dignity, justice, equality, mercy, peace, progress, flourishing. These are all, all elements of the kingdom as we read through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And we kind of move into this space, what we might call the post-Christian culture. And the post-Christian culture has sort of said, I don't think Jesus is the king. Or maybe God isn't king. And so you kind of see the little mark and cross through. But you see underneath the things that are valued are a lot of the same things, or actually they're all the same things. We still value as a culture human dignity, justice, equality, mercy, peace, progress, flourishing, just as some examples. There's more that are associated with the kingdom of God. But you can't, maybe can't notice it, but he's got them just slightly faded on the right. And we've talked about sort of having this positive aftermath. You know, of being a culture that's been so shaped by this story for hundreds of years that largely as a culture, we still value a lot of these things that the Bible points us to, that Jesus points us to. But we're sort of starting to drift a little bit. And we've got a problem because if you read through the Bible, the Bible claims that we need to have something up in that king space. It's something that we might call our ultimate concern. What's the ultimate thing or person that we serve? And if Jesus or God or, or whatever you want to put in there is taken out, it sort of creates this vacuum because as we learned from the very beginning in Genesis, we were made to worship. We were made to have an ultimate concern. And so what goes up in that space? And I think the things that often go up in that space is me. <laughs> That's an easy one. It's fun to serve myself. It's nice and convenient and easy to serve myself. And I get a lot of backup from the larger culture that's around me, especially advertising. I should care about myself. And so it's easy to put myself in the space of ultimate concern. Another example might be one of the things, one of those values down there. We radicalize it and it becomes the ultimate concern. So for example, we maybe will take uh, one of those things like equality and put it up there. And that becomes the ultimate concern. Everything else must serve that. The problem with that is that we, when we elevate something like equality, it means that human dignity will suffer. Or justice will suffer to help serve that other thing. Right? So, if we become people, or we are people, who want to keep Jesus in that spot... We're going to find ourselves, by default, challenging the idols of the people around us. Whether it's the self, or whether it's one of these values. Right? And when we put Jesus in that spot, we don't just challenge the idols of the culture around us, we challenge our own idols. Something else is going on in our heart. And so... We can be the target of other people's jealousy. Right? Or the target of other people's frustration or anger because we're challenging the space. We're challenging what's in that other place. Jesus is preparing his disciples for us and in a way, as we read through the Gospel of John, he can be preparing us for this with these same words. If I threatened others, when you follow me, as the way, the truth, and the life, you also will be threatening to others. Now when we get to 5 and 6, what he says next. I'm going to... oh, yeah, But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asked me where are you going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. It's okay, like the first disciples, for us and not just okay but necessary to come to terms with the darkness of the world that we inhabit that's actually hard work it's painful but it's good it's good to do most of us in here have lost loved ones or and or we've lost dreams that we've had for a preferred world for a preferred life, things are not the way they should be. We've seen our own hopes and dreams, even some of our own idols, fall and fail, and it's painful. When we're in this space, it can be hard for us to see a future when we're dealing with our sorrows, our regrets. So we might not be asking Jesus, What's next? What's the bigger picture? And I just appreciate that this moment that Jesus just names that. And it's okay. I'm not gonna, he's about to say, I'm not going to tell you anymore. You can't handle it. It's okay. He sees that sorrow has filled them up. And he goes on. Nevertheless, even though you're not asking, I tell you the truth. It's actually better. It's to your advantage That I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the disciples put yourself in their shoes in the midst of their darkness as they're coming to terms with Jesus' departure physically and the sorrow that's filling their hearts. There's this promise that they'll remember later, even if they can't feel it right now. There's this promise that a better thing is coming. That it's to your advantage that they will get a companion in the darkness. In the midst of their sorrow. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sins, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So, the disciples know they've been following Jesus, and they know, like most of you know in this room with me, that the world is broken. And that we, along with that world, are broken. That we have been ignorant and remain so in a lot of ways. That we are at times complicit with evil. That we tend towards idolatry, putting our eggs in the wrong basket right to hope in someone or something besides this god to rescue or to save or to comfort all disciples are of jesus have been guilty of this and have confessed and come to jesus and ask for help and jesus says the spirit will help think john 3 the world stands in darkness already that's what Jesus says to Nicodemus or, or maybe John's narrating at this point it's hard to know when the quote ends but the world stands condemned it stands in this brokenness and the context is brokenness and Jesus is the way to the father the way back to the bosom of the father this intimacy this salvation this rescue so this word convict, and this whole section is a little bit confusing or maybe challenging for us, but it means to test. In the Greek, to refute or to expose is maybe a more helpful word. To expose the dead end, I think, of idolatry. That it's no way out, that it's no rescue. So he has three things that that um, the Spirit's testimony in the disciples of Jesus will expose In the world, in our own lives, in the world, in the lives of those around us. And one is to expose who we should believe in the one the Father sent, the one from above, the only one who's qualified and authorized to give us reliable information about who God really is. And second, to expose what a right relationship with this God is. Now, this might be a little bit counterintuitive, but Jesus is saying, now, when I go to the Father and I sit at his right hand, he doesn't spell all this out, but it's there in the New Testament theology, and it's what he's getting at, is there's going to be, for the first time, really since the Garden of Eden, there's going to be a human in the presence of God the Father. And there's going to be peace between God and humanity because of Jesus' incarnation, taking on flesh, and then going back to the Father. And he says that accounts for our righteousness. That we're, once again, can be in right relationship with this God because Jesus has gone to the Father and is in his presence and is interceding for us on on our behalf, to him on our behalf. So that's one, believe in the, expose, believe in who is sent by the Father what it takes for right relationship, that Jesus goes and has connection to us, and finally, that there is an alternate ruler to the cosmos that took over back in Genesis, and that one stands condemned. He's on his way out. It's like a dictator breathing murderous threats to all opponents, but he's being deposed. It's time to get out of that situation. So, Jesus is saying the Spirit will come and testify through your works, if you're a disciple of Jesus, and through your words, and will expose and convict the world of these three things. He's going to do it all in the context of our weakness and our vulnerability. Remember, in the context of this sorrow and this darkness, we have a witness. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. Remember, sorrow is dominating. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He's going to glorify me. The Spirit will glorify me and will take what is mine and declare it to you. Much like Jesus glorified the Father and took what is his and declared it to his disciples. All that the Father, is, that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit will come, will guide us in the way that Jesus in the flesh guided his first disciples. The Spirit will come and guide us in our humility in our weakness, and in our vulnerability. Jesus gives space for his disciples' sorrow. Lent is a season that's built into our calendar year in the church that gives space for our sorrow, to mourn, what we've lost, disciples are allowed to mourn the loss of Jesus' physical presence. We're allowed to mourn the loss of things that we've lost, or maybe we'll never have in an otherwise preferred future a preferred life. We're free to mourn what we know we will lose one day. We're free to mourn that life in this world will not go the way that we want it often or the way that we sense it should. Remember the words of Jesus from chapter 15, that image of the vine, to stay here, stay here in my presence, abide in me, even and especially in the darkness, in the sorrow. Stay with me, trust me. I well, encourage us in this season of Lent to lean into some of that darkness, some of that sorrow, but stay with Jesus in the midst of it and see what he does with it. Because he promises, just as he promised the original disciples, that it is better that I go away. And he promises resurrection life. But we can't get to that unless we take the darkness seriously, right? who travel through some of that pain and name some of the brokenness and some of the lostness in our own lives. And then we're in a space to receive what God has for us in his spirit and to hold out the words of life for ourselves, to one another, and to those in this city. Let's pray. God, thank you.
0: Precious.
1: Thank you for this little space, this little insight um, to imagine ourselves as a fly on the wall with you and your first disciples. Thank you for the promise and acknowledgement of darkness and sorrow in the life of following you. You didn't give us false promises, the Christian life would be easy. But you did promise that you would be with us. So as a community, we ask that you would give us a special sense of that this season. That we would know your presence in a fresh way, even as we lean in to our sorrow. That this world is not the way it ought to be that our lives, our hearts, and our minds are not the way it ought to be. And we love you and we thank you. We pray for that peace and that joy that you promised, even in the midst of our darkness. In Jesus' name.
0: i Listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Table Worship Community. To learn more, please go to tablechurch.ca. will fall you said trust the